We welcome you to Training Tape 59. From the 2003 Young Living Annual Convention, a highly informative lecture by Dr. Ann Blake Tracy, who will discuss the dangers of mind-altering so-called antidepressant drugs as compared to the more effective properties of essential oils. And then Gary Young will introduce famous Hollywood actor Clint Walker, who will share with us the lessons he's learned about good nutrition and proper physical fitness. And now here's Dr. Ann Blake Tracy. Let me first of all start by mentioning that in my book, I dedicate it first of all to my great-great-grandfather who was the mayor of Tombstone during the OK Corral days. I think he's the one that gave me the spunk to do what I'm doing. He stood between Johnny Ringo and Wyatt Earp one day to stop a gun battle. And I feel that's what I've been doing for the last 14 years when it comes to those who've been damaged by these serotonin antidepressants and the pharmaceutical companies. I also dedicated the book to my two children, Jesse and Adrian, who have patiently listened to years of Prozac, Zoloft, Paxil. They just kind of roll their eyes when I mention the words. But they turned to me one day in their childlike wisdom and said, gee, Mom, why do people use Prozac when all they need is the antidepressant that I use? His name's Keto. <laughs> Can you say hi, baby? <laughs> This year, we'll let him sing for you before I give my lecture. Okay, Keto. Sing, baby. Sing. 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 <laughs> now you see why he's such an effective antidepressant. And the truth is, we have many studies showing that, that nature is an incredible antidepressant. That's why God gave it to us. Okay, let's go into the background behind these antidepressants so that you understand how we've gotten to where we are today. What the world has been told is that when you're depressed, you have a problem with your serotonin levels, that they are actually too low, and you need to take an antidepressant to increase the level of serotonin in your brain. First thing you need to know is that is false. One of the biggest lies in medicine. According to the research over the last 60 years, what is low in depression is your ability to metabolize serotonin, which actually takes the level down. So what's wrong is that you can't metabolize serotonin that well and you need help metabolizing serotonin. These drugs, Prozac, Zoloft, Paxil, Luvox, Effexor, Serazone, Remeron, Lexapro, Seraphim, who can remember them all at this point? Anyway, what they are designed to do and the way that they work is by impairing your ability to metabolize serotonin, which was the initial problem to begin with. That is the problem with depression, it's the problem with anxiety. In fact, the long list includes these things. When you cannot metabolize serotonin and it builds to higher levels, you suffer from psychosis or schizophrenia, mood disorders, which include depression and anxiety. In fact, we had a study come out of Australia just three years ago saying, oh my goodness, what on earth are we doing giving patients who suffer from anxiety these drugs that increase serotonin? Because what we've just found is that the serotonin level is actually eight times higher in those suffering from anxiety. Of course, I was standing there saying, well, what do you think I've been trying to tell you for 14 years? Okay, schizophrenia, psychosis, autism, Alzheimer's, anorexia, mental retardation, organic brain disease, 
Then comes the depression, the anxiety, suicide, repeated suicide attempts, very violent suicide, violent crime, arson, substance abuse, or cravings for alcohol and other drugs, insomnia, violent nightmares, impulsive behavior with no concern for punishment, reckless driving. You didn't hear about road rage before these drugs hit and I was talking about it long before the media started. Exhibitionism, hostility, and argumentative behavior, which is why I've called these drugs the divorce pills for years. Now that list is what you will generally find patients reporting as side effects to these medications. Now you understand why. You cannot impair someone's ability to metabolize serotonin. When you do so, you produce impulsive murder and suicide. This magazine article is from the Washington Times. It's Insight Magazine, an article talking about how these drugs triggered the Columbine Massacre. I have been an expert in cases such as this Columbine tragedy. This is Mark Taylor, the young man underneath that picture. Mark was the first one shot at Columbine. He and I are working together closely. He is the director for the state of Colorado for the International Coalition for Drug Awareness. And the reason he is, is Mark will tell you that after being shot seven to 13 times that day in the chest, with both of his lungs collapsed, he prayed for an hour and a half that God would spare his life. 50 kids ran over him that day as he lay in front of the cafeteria because they thought he was dead. He was thrown in the back of a police truck on top of 12 dead bodies because they too thought he was dead. When he arrived at the hospital, a doctor noticed that Mark still had signs of life. He called his family physician and said, I have one of your patients here. He's dead, but he's talking to me. And he's still talking. He doesn't shut up for very long. But Mark will tell you that the reason he is alive today is to tell the world that Columbine happened because of these drugs. <laughs> Columbine is not the only school massacre we have seen as a result of these drugs. There are many, many more. Springfield, Oregon, El Cajon, California, Mattawa, Washington, Corey Batiscard, 17 years old, a good, strong Mormon boy, very strong in his faith. He was head of his priest quorum. He was very active in his church. He was an Eagle Scout. After a year on Paxil, the doctor decided to switch him to Effexor, which is the drug Andrea Yates was on when she drowned her five children. Three weeks on Effexor, Corey got up to go to school. He didn't feel well, so he went back to bed. That's Corey's version. And he said, I woke up in jail. What happened was Corey went to bed, got up, got his father's gun, went to school, and held 23 classmates at gunpoint. Luckily, his teacher was able to talk him into handing him the gun before he pulled the trigger. Corey has joined forces with Mark this last year, and together, the school shooter and the first boy shot at Columbine are saying to the world, stop drugging your children. Corey and Mark have gained the attention of the United States Senate this last year as well, and we're going to go into why. 
And that's one of the main reasons why I'm here today, is to tell you that we need your help. But a few things explaining to you what is happening with so many tragedies. By the way, the workplace violence shootings that you're constantly seeing are also a direct result of these so-called medications that work in a way that is almost identical to LSD or PCP. By the way, the company who started this group of drugs, putting Prozac out on the market first, is the same company who initially gave us LSD, telling us that that would be a cure for mental illness, alcoholism, and an aid in psychoanalysis. Obviously, they goofed again. Now, I don't know very many doctors that tell their patients that when they hand them a prescription for one of these medications. I am sure that Doug Williams at the Lockheed Corporation in Mississippi this past week was not told that. Over the 10 years they medicated him off and on with these drugs. According to the reports, he was on Zoloft and Celexa when he shot and killed five co-workers and another one just died yesterday and then shot himself. Just like the Edgewater technology shooting that I worked on where Michael McDermott was on Prozac when he killed seven co-workers. Or the Matthew Beck Connecticut lottery shooting where he shot four or five of his co-workers before killing himself while on Luvox. And there's also the decorated police officer in New Jersey that ran across the street and shot and killed all of his neighbors, ran next door and shot and killed the neighbors there before going to the next city to shoot his best friend who was a police chief before he killed himself while in withdrawal from Luvox. So that gives you an idea of why you are seeing so much violence in our society today. Increasing serotonin levels in someone's brain by impairing their ability to metabolize serotonin is the easiest way in the world to accomplish that. Mass murder by prescription, a modern day holocaust. Not long after I presented information to you last summer, Dr. Arif Khan out of Washington State presented information at a meeting hosted by the National Institutes of Health. Dr. Khan reviewed all of the clinical trials for the SSRI antidepressants and the serotonergic antipsychotics. And he found that even though those patients who were suicidal were excluded from these trials, the suicide rates skyrocketed it went from 11 out of 100,000 in the normal population by 65 times higher to 655. You know a clinical trial. Are the studies done to prove these drugs are safe enough so that the FDA will approve them? They went from 11 deaths, 11 suicides out of 100,000 people to a 65 times greater rate in the clinical trials, and yet the FDA approved these drugs for people who were depressed. Somebody failed math. The SSRI antidepressants Prozac, Seraphim, Zoloft, Paxil, Luvox, Celexa, and Lexapro, the SNRI antidepressants Effexor, Remeron, Serazone, these are the drugs we're talking about that according to the clinical trials showed a 65 times greater rate of suicide I don't know of a better modern-day holocaust than that. We have got family members killing their entire families. Those they care about more than anyone else are the ones they're killing on these drugs. And the next information I give you will explain why it's done that way. A 68 times greater rate of suicide is what we saw with the antipsychotics 
that are serotonergic. Those antipsychotics are Zyprexa, Geodone, Risperidol, and Seroquel. Those are the drugs they're hoping to give you next. And yet we already know that the suicide rate jumped by 68 times with them, as opposed to 65 times with the antidepressants. Now, I might mention that Dr. Khan, who presented that information, has done a little backtracking. Since he presented that in shock, Dr. Khan does a lot of research for pharmaceutical companies. He gets many grants. That's a lot of money. And the best way to cut that money source off is to report something like a 65 times greater chance of suicide when you're on one of these drugs. So he did some really quick backtracking and said, now wait a minute, Dr. Tracy, you're exaggerating what I said. These people were depressed. You know, the 11 out of 100,000, they weren't, we don't really know that they were depressed. We know that the people in these clinical trials were depressed. Well, I wrote to Dr. Khan and I made it public information as I posted it right on our internet site. And I said, all right, Dr. Khan, I will give you that these people were depressed before they took the drugs. We know that they weren't suicidal because you took anyone who was suicidal out of these trials. Now, Dr. Khan, how depressed were these people? Were they twice as depressed as you or I? Three times as depressed as you or I? 10 times, 20 times, 30 times? I said, I'll give you 30 times, even though I can't believe they would even be 10 times more depressed than you or I. So why are they committing suicide at a rate 65 times greater than you or I? It's pretty clear to me what we found. The REM sleep behavior disorder is something that I discuss in my book. There is one whole chapter in the book on that disorder, and it's right where you will see the brainwave patterns of somebody on these drugs. Now, if you remember last year, I showed you these brainwave patterns. I told you that it shows that the patient is in a total anesthetic sleep state while they appear alert and functioning. That's a REM sleep behavior disorder. What that means is that while you are dreaming and actually asleep, you're acting out the nightmare that you're having. We know that 80% of those who suffer from this disorder hurt themselves or someone else. When my book was first published, clear back in 1994, I gave all the reasons why I believed that these drugs were causing this most horrible of all sleep disorders. We now have research to show that 80% of all diagnosed cases of the REM sleep behavior disorder are patients on SSRI antidepressants. That was released by the New York Times in January. The study had been done and sitting there with no one looking at it for years. The doctors I asked to do the research didn't bother to call me back to let me know that they had completed it. 6% of all diagnosed cases of the REM sleep behavior disorder are patients on older antidepressants, giving us a total of 86% of this horrible disorder where you act out your worst nightmare are caused by antidepressants. This alone is reason enough to pull these drugs from the market. I just shared this information with Rusty Yates. You don't recognize the name. That is the husband of Andrea Yates, who drowned her five children in Houston. Rusty called me as I was going through Wichita, Kansas, a couple of months ago. And after I explained this to him, I said, Rusty, in my opinion, Andrea acted out her worst nightmare. She was an incredible mother. 
Her children meant more to her than anything else, so much so that she even devoted all of her time to be home with them and homeschool them. Her children were her life. And yet, all they had to do was give her antidepressants. Of course, they gave her two at maximum dose of both. And she took the lives of her most precious possession on Earth. That is a REM sleep behavior disorder. That is acting out your worst nightmare. Think of the worst thing you would ever have happen to you in your life. And that's what a doctor should tell you you will do when he gives you the prescription for your antidepressant. It makes me sick that we now know that these drugs are the biggest cause of this horrible disorder that we know of. If you recall correctly, there was a case in Phoenix, Arizona, just a couple of years ago, where a mild-mannered man, a school teacher, stabbed his wife I don't know how many times and left her laying in a swimming pool. Obviously, it killed her. He suffered from a REM sleep behavior disorder. So that gives you some idea of what we already know about REM sleep behavior disorder. What's frightening, even more frightening about these effects, and if you can go to the next one now, Mark, is they found that 86% of this disorder is caused by antidepressants. They also found that the sleep, the adverse sleep effects continue for months or even years after withdrawal from the serotonergic agent. One patient, soon after starting on Prozac, had the sleep disturbance of the REM sleep behavior disorder, which continued to persist for 19 months after coming off of the drug. This is why it is so critical to know how to withdraw properly and how to rebuild so that you do not throw your body into shock. That's why I believe they've got my tape on withdrawal on sale in the bookstore. Please tell anybody if they're coming off of these medications, do it the right way. Use oils, use good nutrition, build the body back up. Now for some of the biggest news, June, just last month, England, Ireland, Wales, and Scotland banned Paxil for anyone under the age of 18. <laughs> the reason why they did that is because nine studies that were kept hidden for 12 years mysteriously appeared. I'm still not sure how. I believe they were sent to one of the major newspapers there. But in those studies, it was found that Paxil produces suicide, self-harm, or self-mutilation, violence, psychosis, and medical damage at a rate one and a half to 3.2 times greater than placebo. They've known it for 12 years. They are now facing possible criminal charges for not divulging that to the public. You'll find that our Food and Drug Administration finally moved on this after one of our U.S. Senators, Senator Schumer from New York, held a press conference with our director out of New Jersey and called for our FDA to send that same warning to our children in this country. The FDA did send the warning that Paxil should not be used in those under the age of 18. And that happened just this last month. Our director in New Jersey, Lisa Van Sickle, whose daughter was severely harmed by these drugs, and everything is very well documented. 
is the one that appeared with Senator Schumer at that press conference, and she has also been working closely with the United States Senate, and a Senate subcommittee is concerned enough about these antidepressants that they are gathering all cases of children and youth from age 25 and below who've been harmed by any of the SSRI antidepressants, and all cases are to be reported to our website at drugawareness.org with the heading for Senate hearing. I have said often that about all there is left to do is gather the dead. Time is here and now for us to testify for them in ways they can no longer do for themselves. So I ask you please, all of you, please help us to gather these cases. If you know of any children with serious problems and learn that they have been on these antidepressants, please get them to send the documentation to us at drugawareness.org so that we can gather those for the Senate. They are to be delivered the end of September to these senators. There are some things I can't tell you, but I can tell you that there are those in a very high-profile cases that you would be surprised to learn will be presenting information to the Senate. And I think it will finally be an answer for many when this happens. And I want to thank those at Young Living for helping to spread this information throughout our country and the world on these drugs. I also just recently received a letter, and I don't like people reading me things, but this is so profound that I want to read you this letter that just came in to me. This is someone that heard about my lecture last year. Someone gave her a copy of it, and this is her story. She said, I appreciate the opportunity to tell you my story. I recently had a major life change. This came about because of information that was passed on to me by Young Living. It also came out because of encouragement from my family, friends, and because of my faith. Close to 11 years ago, I experienced some serious depression. I now recognize that it was most likely postpartum depression since it began following the birth of my third child. The condition was serious enough to cause me to be unable to function normally. After a visit to the doctor, I came home with a prescription for Prozac. So what's new? This was the beginning of a 10-year nightmare. Almost immediately, within the first few days, I began having side effects such as hallucinations, hearing voices, and no relief from depression. I went back to the doctor who now prescribed Paxil and Trazodone. Temporarily, it seemed to help with the depression, but I was a zombie all the time. I felt like I had a hangover every morning. With Paxil and all of the antidepressants I took from then on, I had what is called a withdrawal or wear-off effect. Basically, it is a withdrawal caused by the fact that my body soon adjusted to the dosage and then I would need a higher dosage. By the way, that's called addiction. Basically, it is a withdrawal caused by the fact that I had symptoms of electrical sensations throughout my body, shudders and a whoosh sound with every move, and a trailing when I moved or turned my head. This continued to increase until the doctor would change my medication and I would begin the cycle again. I began fluctuating between depression and hypomania. I started seeing a therapist. The therapist referred me to a psychiatrist. 
Now keep in mind, I hear this story every day, all day long in my office and have for 14 years straight. This is what people go through on these drugs. She put me on Zoloft next, starting with a fairly low dose. My initial diagnosis began as major depressive disorder, but soon became dysthymia or severe mood disorder. After trying different antidepressants like Effexor and Serazone, now off the market due to the fact that it causes liver failure, and Welbutrin, all of which gave me only temporary relief, she decided to try lithium because my symptoms had become like that of a bipolar patient. So now the diagnosis became bipolar 2 disorder, which is usually where you end up. My condition began to worsen. At this time, the doctor decided to experiment with different types of drugs, such as anti-seizure medications like Topamax, Depakote, Lamictal, Neurontin. If you saw the Dateline expose on Neurontin last week, you'll understand. Uh, antipsychotics like Risperidol, Seroquel, Zyprexa, all causing me to have a multitude of other side effects such as tremors, visual disturbances, anxiety, and nervous problems for which I was prescribed benzodiazepines like Valium, Xanax, Clonopin. Guess what? I was more depressed. I was more ill than I had ever been in my life. Due to an inherent back problem, I have always, even as a teen, had back pain. Now my back pain was getting worse. The medications decreased my pain tolerance. I developed fibromyalgia. I became obsessed with illness and with pain. I gained an excessive amount of weight. I also began behaving impulsively, lost interest in relationships, and developed social phobias such as agoraphobia, fear of public places and not wanting to leave home. I would panic in crowds, break out in a sweat, collapse in terror. Of course, my children were suffering during this whole time because I was unable to provide nurturing. I could not feel joy or affection. I became obsessed with death. I can't tell you how many moms have told me they have not even been able to bond with their babies because of that lack of affection when they've been given these drugs. Such a tragedy. I didn't want anyone to touch me. I cried sometimes uncontrollably but could never explain why. I felt hopeless. I felt like a burden to everyone. I spoke with slurred speech couldn't find words and had loss of memory. The tremors became so severe that I could no longer write a check or sign my name. This only led to more antisocial behavior and self-isolation. Every month I went to my doctor each time my medication and dosage were changed. There was a point during the next 10 years that I realized the medication was making me sick, especially when I got lithium toxicity. My body was holding on to all fluid. I was bloated beyond recognition. My pupils were dilated one more than the other. I started to get panicky and had constant nausea and severe headaches along with other symptoms which alarmed my husband. And he called my doctor who told me to stop taking the medication immediately. That's when I pull my hair and scream, yikes. <laughs> this stopped the toxicity from progressing, but the immediate withdrawal caused me to crash into an even deeper depression. More medication without relief, more suicidal thoughts, alcohol binges. During this whole time, my husband, family, and friends stood by me. I didn't know it. I didn't care. I even expressed hostility towards those who tried to reach out to me with their concerns. I had no interests, no hobbies outside of the dark, morose, and depressing. My music, books, and movies that I watched all dealt with depressing subjects, especially death. I had total dissociation. 
I slept most of my days, but I had to take drugs to sleep at night. I had nightmares, if I even dreamt at all. I was always jittery and hypervigilant. I could not tolerate life and often called myself a vampire. I had to have throat surgery due to sleep apnea. Anyway, it goes on and on. Then finally she was released. She said, my eyes were dead. I shook uncontrollably. She had been locked in a psych ward, had electric shock treatment, anti-seizure meds. She said, I felt nothing. I just wanted to die. This is when it came to a climax. Then she went on and said, an attempted suicide made for a second hospital stay. Two weeks later, I was back in for another eight days. Finally, back at home, my family searched for answers, looked for ways to help me. Good friends, Brian and Barb, went to a Young Living Convention in California. They returned with help, an audio tape and a book by Dr. Ann Blake Tracy. The tape opened our eyes to the destruction of people's lives these drugs cause. I today know I have a disposition towards depression, but I am not bipolar. I am not psychotic. I do not have a borderline personality disorder. My mental and many physical disorders were caused primarily by the medication I was given by my doctors. I lost 10 years of my life. I followed Dr. Tracy's guidelines for tapering off the medication and I have been using the Cordistop and various supplements as well as essential oils, particularly peace and calming, valor and clarity, without which I know it would have been much more difficult to break free from these drugs. The the weaning process is a long one. It can last for up to two years, but it is worth it. Today I have been completely free of my medications for five months. Although I still have some residual side effects, I am living my life again and enjoying it. I thank Young Living and Dr. Ann Blake Tracy for making me aware. Thanks to my family for their persistence and love in searching for something to help. I appreciate my friends who were there for me even though I didn't know it and I especially thank my faith for giving me strength and courage to succeed. She said her husband feels like he's on a honeymoon that he has his wife back. I read you that just so that you know that as dark and horrible as it can get on the drugs, there is a way back, that Young Living has what they need to come back if they will use it. Another thing I would caution you on, someone who heard me last year withdrew himself after five years on the drug within three months. Three months later, he hit the wall. Now, if you've heard my tape, you know that I say after five years, you should take at least a year to wean slowly down off as you're building building up the nutrition. And I just want to warn you that you've got to be careful, especially with this ban now coming out on Paxil. Warn people on how to come off and how to rebuild. It's so important. And I'm so glad that Gary has focused on the liver this year because it is so critical in withdrawal from these deadly drugs. We had one case of a young man, only 27 years old, never touched alcohol in his life. One year on Prozac, he had the liver of a 50-year-old alcoholic. These drugs are deadly on the liver. My first concern was the damage to the liver and the pancreas, and they have proved to be deadly. Listen closely to everything you're told this year about the liver. It is so important, and fasting is wonderful. I also talk about that in my book. I'm glad that Gary's focusing on it. A 40-day fast was one of the easiest things and most pleasant things I've ever done in my life. It is wonderful. I support Gary and what he's doing and the direction he's going. It's exactly what we need for this time. And please, take this information back home with you 
and teach those in your area. If any of you want to be a director for the International Coalition for Drug Awareness too, we need all the help we can get, especially gathering all of these children that have had horrible reactions to these drugs to now present to the United States Senate. Thank you for your help. Thank you for coming. Thank you for sharing this with those who need this help so desperately. <laughs> Thank you.